and welcome to episode 42 of the Talking Toro podcast. I'm here as always with my co-host Peter Bourne. Uh, last week, after the disappointing 1-1 draw with Slenitana, we were moaning the fact that this team was sort of just slumping and, and going to sort of stumble to a mid-table finish. And then we go to second place, Lazio, and win 1-0. Typical Toro. Um Peter, thoughts? I understand you uh, may have watched the game in a in a quite unusual method, but uh, I'll uh, what I'll pass over to you and and let you hear your thoughts on the game. Yeah, I was um, I was at another mission yesterday. I had to go and rescue my League One club, um, who were yeah, let's say flirting with relegation after being in mid table for most of the season. So I I actually went to my first Port Vale home game. I've been to a few away games this season, but. Went to my first home game and uh, we actually got a few, I know we've got a few League One listeners on this podcast, in, in, including a few uh, gas heads. So um, very generously, Bristol Rovers came and put the beach towels down. We won 2-0. It was a very good Saturday and I was walking back to the train station. I had a couple of trains to get home and I kind of fo- I was following the Torino match on my phone. It was like nil, 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 nil. I got to the, the first train station. I was like, do I put BT Sports stream on? Do I ruin my Saturday? I've already predicted a 3-0 defeat. I'd kind of resigned to the fact. Um, and literally, I put it on about 10 minutes before the train, and within 20 seconds of the stream starting, Illich scored. I was like, okay, and a few minutes before halftime. I was, I was expecting a really kind of bad signal following the game. So even though I'd connected, I was like, yeah, this is going to be one of those tricky ones where I'm probably going to know the score before the stream catches up. But the stream, I don't know, I must have been in some like 5G super spot of, of North Staffordshire, South Cheshire and Shropshire. But yeah, I ended up uh, being able to follow the whole match. And I was in Crew Station having a pint of Guinness the soundtrack of the Millwall firm uh, getting off a train from Wigan. Uh, random fans of Coventry, I think Coventry, Shrewsbury, Birmingham City, all sorts going on behind me. But yeah, I managed to watch the, the Torino game um, Yeah, in the Crew Station bar. Uh, Crew, for anyone who doesn't know, is a bit of a kind of, it's a bit of a crossroads on the British Rail Network where a lot of trains meet and a lot of people change train uh, change trains. And, and uh, the Crew Stadium is actually right by the ground. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, I was watching the game and I was exp- we'll talk a bit more in detail, but the last, it, it dawned on me about 10 minutes ago, the last two times we've been to Rome was Lazio, we conceded when Immobile scored the last touch of the game. Brilliant performance last season. And then we went to Rome to play Roma earlier this season, played really well, one of the best performances under Juric and conceded with virtually the last kick of the game. So I was, and then I also realised under Juric, we've done the same we had a home game against Lazio where we played really well. Gigi gave away a stupid foul and Immobile scored a penalty. So the narrative, BT commentator alert, which wasn't the narrative they seemed to be going for was Zacanyu was having a really bad game. Uh, it wasn't the narrative that Lazio were going to score. But I, while as one part of me was expecting him to score, the other part of me felt we were pretty comfortable. Um, very professional performance. And does it change a lot since last week? Going back to your intro, no, really, it was a classic Eurich performance against a good team away from home. The only difference is we saw it through. We got the job done because Lazio, I think, were on an off day. And we, I don't even know how professional we were in the last 10 minutes because I, I kind of came home and I watched parts of the game again. We were pretty sloppy in the last 10, 15 minutes. It's just, uh, 
yeah, Lazio weren't didn't really take advantage, or our kind of last ditch defending was quite good. So I'm not sure you. I'm not sure it's an, any more mature performance than some of the ones we've given away from home, where we've where we've managed to kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. But yeah, very happy a one nil win. Does it change a lot? Not really sure. It's I don't you, you go and beat Lazio one nil away and. You look at the league table and we're eleventh. We seem to have dropped. I don't feel like we've dropped places, but um, no. But a positive week, a positive result, positive weekend, and let's hope maybe we can kick on and get that get at least the eighth place. Um, yeah, I think just a, a couple of points about um, it, in the last ten minutes we probably weren't as professional as we we could have been, and I think maybe what's happened in previous games is that we've not been we've not had that luck in the sort of injury time or, or whenever and, and that's where the opposition has scored. I think we probably we didn't really see out the game as we probably should have done. We probably had an opportunity on the counter to, to score a second and didn't. And then yeah, got a little bit lucky in, in terms of the RCS finish and just didn't seem to be there. Um it's taken almost two seasons but uh Juric has finally just stopped uh, subbing random centre halves, but this time he, he bought on a centre half for a for a right wing back, uh, and yeah, uh, probably not the finest performance of Andrew Grivelion's career, uh, as he probably he's I think he was Lazio's second best player actually. Um, he he was, uh, yeah, low key, terrible. He um, it was a weird substitution. On one hand, I could see what he was trying to do, uh, like for once, like you said, he wasn't going to touch one of the centre backs. He probably wanted a bit of height physicality on that side maybe for set pieces but we did we did have kind of uh well we had Voivode on the bench but we had Lazaro on the bench we had we had kind of credible fallbacks uh Gravion's performance for me was one of the worst uh cameos of the entire season he got booked like within I, mean, I don't he, know he should have been he should have been booked uh, again as well he made it he well, made another foul which had he not been booked would certainly have been a yellow. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure the first one was a booking and the second one probably was a booking. It was one of those. And the two didn't make a red card, that's for sure. But yeah, and watching it back, it's, it's really nice to watch back these games the last 10, 15 minutes, knowing you've won. Because you can watch it stress-free, but you can also break down. And Gravion, he just gave the ball away every single time. And every Lazio counter in the last 10 minutes came from him. Not There's one point where he... Uh, deep in their half, he gave them a most stupid throw and just by kind of letting the ball run under his foot. Yeah, I, I think he could be a player that uh, is part of Torino next season and may end up being a very good player at right centre-back. Do not want to see him at right wing-back again. No, I think... Uh, who, well, who, 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 I'm intrigued to know who Lazio's best player was. Uh, well, that's, a, that's probably a struggle as well. Um, I, di- I did just just take him back into the... I thought I thought Milinkovic-Savic played played okay and I think he, he usually tends to against these obviously got the BT uh, narr- <laughs> narrative Claxton but obviously it's it's the game against his brother and that was one one aspect of the game I liked in the first half that um, Sergei took a free kick from about 20 yards and probably a little bit further out and it was like an easy easy catch for, for Vanya and he almost just like smiled as it went into his hands although it Probably wasn't smiling as much in the uh, opening sort of couple of moments when he almost uh, fumbled, fumbled one over the line. Uh, well, but yeah, he, I, I, I did find that quite quite humorous. He got, um, yeah, his, his kind of first contribution to the game and his last contribution to the game nearly cost us. Um, I don't know if you saw, um, Vanya's been very active on Instagram all weekend. He's obviously 
is obviously milking the um, sibling rivalry, but he posted a picture, which I sent uh, sent you last night, of him wearing these kind of, I call them flasses, obviously uh, fake glasses, uh, trying to look very... Very uh, intelligent. Very eighteenth century, uh, you know, kind just, of just oh, come from uh, a lecture. Yeah, um, but maybe he should have worn those glasses in the game, and might have been <laughs> might have helped him out. But I, I think yeah. I, I think he does wear glasses. You know, I don't know how. Don't ask me how I know this. Just from my story. Well, maybe, maybe he needs to I wear them. Actually, I think they're actually genuine glasses, and he might wear maybe, maybe he needs to. I don't know. Maybe he needs to wear the glasses playing football. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, a couple of things about the game. Good crowd from Lazio. I was. Um, I've often thought of them being a bit like Toro in that uh, at times their fan base has not always turned up, but it's it's pretty pretty big crowd in there. Um, probably something we'll come on to is that the behaviour of the crowd is, uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's there's well there's been some reaction from Torino players this evening as well on on some of the abuse they got, um, but yeah, full stadium. Um, and I like the fact that you, uh, a couple of things about Juric's approach to the game I liked. He played the three best defenders, uh, Scherz, Bongiorno and uh, Gigi, in terms of being pure defenders. Um, I don't know if you saw this stat, that Bongiorno is the defender in Europe with the most fouls. Um, I mean, that does top, not surprise top, me at all. <laughs> the top five league, but always innocuous fouls, aren't they? They're never kind of bad it, fouls. It never, they're usually yeah. just fouls because he's just a bit slow. Um, I don't. Yeah, like you say, I don't think they're... He's ever. I don't think I've ever really seen him do a, a bad, a, a genuinely bad challenge. I think sometimes maybe the striker just gets the ball ahead of him and he'll just like plunder in the back of them. But yeah, that does not surprise me in the slightest. Bongiorno, yeah. seems like the man who, the sort of man who'd walk into a bar and sort of, he'd, he'd accidentally walk into somebody's table and knock over their pint or something. He's, he's not the most graceful, <laughs> graceful of man. But I feel, I feel that defense is quite is quite solid. The other thing I liked is he dropped players. He dropped good players who hadn't been playing well, which is not something we always do. So Moranchuk was hooked. Richie didn't play, um, and I like that. I like that. I feel, I, quite... I feel the Richie was... one must have been, must have been poss- potentially due to injury and the fact that he didn't come on at all. And yeah, Lenetti does have a look, a look after about the 70, 70 or 75th minute that makes you think: Is he going to survive this? Like, not is he going to just. Is he going to be able to survive this match? Will he be able to play again this season? Yeah, well, Lidetti obviously likes playing in Rome. I don't know if it's a, if it's a Polish John Paul the Pope thing, <laughs> but he's he's always, he's had two really good good games. This is probably his best game since Rome away. Yeah. Um, I thought he did very well, but yeah, I like the fact that he went and he was brave and he picked the most informed players and changed it up for the game. Um, and everything was Illich looked really confused after his goal, didn't he? <laughs> I don't know if he looked at he looked do you think he thought it hit the side at it? I don't know, it just seemed Yeah, it was a very kind of shy I mean, celebration. I, I was I was I was pretty shocked because it was almost cause, I mean I'm pretty sure that was I think I saw a stat that that was Torino's first goal from outside the area this season. So I literally didn't even I wasn't probably even fully paying attention when it left his foot. It was only when I saw uh, when I heard the the reaction from the commentators that realised that he'd scored and almost had to watch the replay to see exactly what had happened. Um, because, yeah, Torino get the goal, get the ball sort of 25, 30 yards from goal. I'm not expecting anybody to, to get, get a shot on target, let alone in the net. It's weird, yeah. I said I was 20 seconds into the stream and as soon as it left his foot, I said, I thought, goal. 
this is in. So you um, so you heading back heading back to the cruise station for next Saturday, yeah? I, I might be in the cruise station. It's 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 a sad place, the cruise station bar. But if it gets us wins, <laughs> you could just us... you didn't really need to say station bar then. You could just stop that at crew. I think. Well, I've never I've never actually been ventured into crew, so I will. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that one for another time. But no, good win. Um, I think Lazio below par. I was really surprised to see Mobile come on, and judging by his performance when he came on, I'm not really sure how match fit he was. He was yeah, like, it's good to good. I think a few people have picked up on social media about his terrible dive, um, in like outside the area. I think it was with really, uh, almost well a collision with Shears where he, he may have touched him, and then four seconds later he, he falls to the ground. And yeah, uh, rightfully being mocked for for that. And yeah, I think I, it it's probably a welcome change that Immobile didn't have a an effect on this game because yeah, he's usually been sort of the protagonist in, in recent editions of the fixture. Yeah, I mean sent off, missed a penalty, scored a ton of goals, and then like kind of miraculous come a comeback. Um yeah, he's always kind of part of the narrative, uh BT Sport Claxon. But yeah, mm-hmm. thankfully thankfully he didn't do too much. Um, um and they go, yeah. go I, I, I I didn't I mean although I watched the game the audio wasn't great so there were Kind of reports like instantaneously after the game that Caramo and Singo were racially abused. Um, and kind of what surprised me is how quickly the Italian media picked up on it because it's not something they're always too proactive on. And I don't know if that's kind of a kind of reaction to a lot of things, uh, yeah, a kind of a lot of things which happened recently. It's not something I heard. Um, I've seen some some clips that, yeah. Don't don't look particularly good for certain Lazio supporters. Um, and then Jan, I think Jan Caramo's come out this season, come out this evening, sorry, and called out one of the Lazio fans. So yeah, not not a great look at all. Kind of um, say so there's too much more we can say about that. But at least yeah, I thought it was least positive. It was being talked about kind of immediately post game, and not not something that was being talked about because Torino had complained about it, brought it up. It was. You know, it was kind of being talked about before Torino even had a chance to to say anything about it. Yeah, and I think obviously Lazio historically do have a little bit of a reputation about this, but it's also probably important to remember that the majority of Lazio fans probably weren't weren't partaking in that sort of behaviour, and it is usually a minority. And all fans do have that unfortunate minority in the stadium who do that. I think the worrying thing about the the video, and I'm pretty sure I'm not sure if it was it was Caramo himself or or another, somebody, another comment I saw on Twitter, but obviously with this video, which Caramo has highlighted on Instagram, the concerning thing is the fact that nobody else around him challenges, challenges or stops him from what what he's saying. I think that that is really, I think, in society as a whole, that is the only way you really get to stop these these idiots. Is that if somebody says something which is out of order, other people, if that's they just need to call it out and almost shame them for, for for having those beliefs and I think that's probably the, the worrying thing. It will only take one one idiot to say something but yeah if you've got sort of 20-30 people around him also not saying him it's not going to stop him from doing it again. Thankfully they've, they've managed to catch him on, on video and, and hopefully he's going to get a very long ban and, and not be going to, to a football match for a long time. Yeah no I appreciate your point but I think what's also happening is there's more fans with with camera phones who um, may not be prepared to 
say something in the stadium and that's uh that's their own prerogative but there's more kind of evidence um yeah more evidence being generated of these things happening there's i mean there's there was a um issues with uh lukaku and the Juventus inter game recently where where people put, picked up footage i remember the worst one i've seen i think was in the Cagliari. it might have been a Cagliari Juventus or Cagliari inter game a few seasons ago and it was the Cagliari fans and it was like it almost like young children or teenagers giving the yeah. abuse and then people around them almost kind of goading them onto it and yeah it's not it's um it it wasn't a good look but i think it's something and, and... Uh, it's something something i was i was happy to see being at least being in the conversation whether anything will um how much will happen we don't know yeah and just picking up on that the khaki point it's also he's he was received a second yellow card for celebrating in his in his sort of normal normal way which was seemed as a reaction to the Juventus fans for racial abuse and he received a second yellow card in the Coppa Italia uh, which was then a red card and he would, would have been suspended for the second leg uh, that I believe I read yesterday has now been sort of overturned by the head of the the Italian FA almost as a, a gesture against racism which again it, it these are the sort of things that it sh- I think sometimes when as a, as a fan of Italian football these stories and, and these instances don't show the league or, or in a good light and obviously it's unfortunate that it, that has to happen but the positive I suppose is that people are sort of now paying a little bit more in attention to these things and sort of they're being reported on a little bit more than maybe they were sort of 10-15 years ago Sure I think um, I, I, I mean, go, going back to the match and then looking at uh, I think there's seven, seven games to go this is a horrible thing to say, but we've got kind of seven winnable games in that we've got three. I think we've got three teams who are currently above us. Uh, so Atalanta, we'll talk about because they're our next match. Then Fiorentina, who are kind of in, still in two cup competitions. And Inter, last game of the season, potentially before a Champions League final. Although Inter are kind of messing up Champions League qualifications. So, um, And then we've got four teams below us. Although we don't seem to do very well against teams, especially at home, we're expected to to beat. But we've got Sampdoria, Monza, Verona, and Spezia. Um, firstly, it'd be great to relegate Spezia in a penultimate weekend after after a few of the matches we've had against them. But to be yeah, fair, uh, having recently just spent three days in Spezia, despite their despite they do seem to have a very good record against us, and probably one of one of probably the worst Torino memory I have. Uh, it's quite a nice city, so um, yes, yeah, a nicer place to go to than half the teams in Syria. Well, who's coming up? Um, Bari, uh, Genoa, Frosinone, or well, Frosinone? We can't get too excited about, but <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Genoa will probably replace Sampdoria, so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll get you a nice place to replace. Uh, re- yeah, replace I mean, if, it was, if it was a pick, well, I mean, we don't particularly have a great record in um, in Verona against Hellas either, so. We've got two sort of two teams we've got to go to where our records aren't particularly great. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll. I'm just going to play a bit of Torino bingo. What will happen first? And I think these things need to happen for us to kind of, yeah, flirt more closely, say, with European football. One is uh, score three goals in a game. Second one is come back to win a match. Third one is we've got to put a string of wins together. Um, so let's, you know, for Torino, it'd be epic to win three matches in a row. What of those things is most likely to happen uh, first? 
happen first, possibly conceding first and then coming back to win. I mean, I've got, I, I think I even mentioned, I'm not sure if it was the last pod, but that if we could beat Lazio, that would then maybe give us a little bit of confidence going into Atalanta. And then the third game of that run, the midweek game would be Samp away. I mean, it, it will be, I know we say it a lot to Picotura about beating Lazio, beating Atalanta and then dropping points against the worst team in the league. But yeah, I think I may. I can't see. I don't see the three wins in a row happening before the end of the season. To be honest, despite the fact that they, I think they are all winnable, I think I think I, I picked up on the fact that the Fiorentina game would be played on the weekend before the Coppa Italia final. Should Fiorentina make it, and they're two 0 up, I think, from the first leg. So, yeah, I think if I was going to rank them, I'd say coming back from behind. Whether that could happen on Saturday, possibly. Um, Possibly that could be my prediction. Um, the three goals, I think, if the fixtures remain in Monza at home, potentially the most chance of that happening. Um, and yeah, the three wins in a row is probably obviously the hardest, which we haven't done for however many years it is. I think we'll, um, I think we'll win the next two and win three in a row, oh. and then probably fluff up against Monza. I think Monza's next. Uh, I mean that the month well. I, I do. Um, we might even head of um, head of next week's episode. We might even do the statistics, but we do seem to have a very good record around the the fourth of May games, so the game nearest to the fourth of May, which obviously will would be Sampdoria, but then the nearest home game would be be the Monza game. So it will be interesting to see. Where yeah, I think if we if we do manage to beat Atalanta, we we usually bring a lot of numbers to Sampdoria away, given it's only sort of two hours away. Um, so yeah, I think optimism would be very high, and the potential of potentially catching Atalanta in seventh would be would be there. I know they play Roma tomorrow, so yeah, or on Monday night, so it might be might be a bit of a might be a bit of an ask. But uh, I think if we were to beat them, that definitely get again, given the reasons that the rest of the fixtures aren't aren't too difficult on paper. Um, yeah, I think there would at least be something to aim for for the end of the season. Obviously, I think the realistic hope would be, would be eighth. Yeah. I mean, not to forget as well, Torino really don't like Sampdoria. Torino fans really don't like Sampdoria. Um, so to potentially relegate them would be... I mean, uh, mathematically relegate them, I think we need to say. Um, unmathematically, they are 10 points away from safety uh, with seven games left. So I think they are all but relegated. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what the earliest point they can be relegated would be. Um, just doing some quick maths. Uh, yes, I don't think. Yeah, yeah I don't poten- think potentially. I think we uh, potentially. I think there is a chance we could, we can mathematically relegate them um, when we play them on the third. So Atalanta, yeah. So we have got something a bit special cooking up for for part two. Bit of a South American barbecue, um, but. Before we just talk very quickly, well, you're going to do your Wikipedia player of the week. And first we'll talk a bit about Atalanta, which is a bit random because Atalanta have not played, uh, as you mentioned, the round 31 game. So it's talk about form and stuff is a bit out of the window. The only thing I'll say is last... To, I mean, against... should, we just, should we just cover a couple of points here? Like, uh, uh, what an unbelievable Atalanta win and oh, classic Jose Mourinho, <laughs> 1-0 Roma performance. There you go. I can edit, I'll edit that out. Yeah, it'll be a 1-1 draw. But, um... <laughs> The only thing I want to say about Atalanta, so go back 10 games ago, was the Walter, the Walter Bersa late goal, which I think you were at, that was your first 
That is correct. Win as a Torino fan in Serie A. And then we, um, yeah, after the last 10, we were unbeaten in seven. Do you remember where we wore the green kit against Atalanta? The one time with the... Um, yeah, the, the Schapikonese kit. Yeah, that was a 1-1 draw five seasons ago when Nkulu scored. Um, but the last three, um, so there was the nil seven, which uh, we've still not digested. Then there was a 4-2 defeat where I think quite early in the season where they, um, they kind of hammered us really. And then we haven't played them at home for a long time. It was Juric's very first game was at home to Atalanta and equally scored in the 93rd minute. And I had to we, Google earlier what the hell happened to Piccoli. He's on loan at Empoli, apparently, but I've yeah not he, much, um, much attempt. But well, it's been it's been half an hour in the podcast. I've not mentioned him yet, but I think Belotti scored a deflect, deflected shot outside the area. Would that have been our last goal outside the area? Yeah, I mean Belotti. Uh, he did very well to claim that as a goal. It's a kind of yeah, it kind of hit a defender and like looped right over the oh, top of the goalkeeper, didn't it? Talking about strange places to watch Torino games. I was watching that in a. I was on my Scottish road trip then. I was in a bar in Fort William watching that game. Um, yeah, we were in luck. We were quite luck. I think we had very low expectations because we hadn't done anything in the transfer window, had we? Um, no. Prior and Brecalo and people hadn't come in, so. We did it, yeah, but it's a long time. A lot, has, a lot has happened since we played Atalanta at home. I think we're due to um, wipe the smile off, off the kind of gobbo Gasparini's face uh, after those three, three. Uh, yeah, they've all been pretty painful defeats in their own way. So, Robert, I am. I my probably gave my worst prediction this weekend, saying we lose three 0 to Lazio. So, we will um, we'll beat Atalanta three 0 Oh wow! But. That wine you're drinking must be very strong, Peter. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Atalanta are just a, such a strange team because they're, they're very inconsistent in the fact that, they're, again, no, it's, it's difficult to talk about because they've not played their, their weekend fixture just yet, but they've, they've beaten sort of some of the top teams away from home, but then they've also lost the teams you would expect them to beat. They've lost, I think, at home to Lecce and Bologna this season. Um yeah, and you always get the feeling that that Gasparini Atalanta relationship isn't going to last forever, and you just think at some point that that is going to sort of not end particularly well. So yeah, it's not particularly up in this prediction, is it? Um, yeah, they do. Juric I think you don't. Lot. I think you don't know the prediction you want to make, and you're kind you, of uh, you're talking Juric, to yourself. Well, I've just prepared. Pete. I'll make one prediction. Obviously, Juric yeah. is a, a disciple of uh, Gasparini. Played under him at Genoa. He's definitely going to do his little Tiago Motta speech before the before the press conference and just basically talk about how good he is and how he wished they had some of the players that he has and blah 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 and what a great coach he is. Um, and I'm gonna I'm not as optimistic. I do think we'll beat Samp. So because I don't think we'll get the three in a row, I'll go for an entertaining. I'll tell you, ooh, tell you what, I'll go for a three-three. I know I said that we wouldn't score the three goals, but. I think it would be absolutely peak Torino to score three goals and then not win the game. So I'll go for a three all. I think your beers are strong as my wine in that case. But I think you're pretty... yeah, if, well... if we were obviously we had that um that game in, in Bergamo where we were three nil down and came back to, to draw three three. So does that count as a comeback or, or or do we need to have won the game? Well, we haven't 
we haven't come back to win a game under Juric this season. I think the last time was the Empoli game away wow. last season. Um, and they had uh, nine men on the, yeah. nine men on the pitch at that stage. I think so. a lot happened in that Empoli game. There's a lot of kind of statistics were broken in that one yeah. afternoon that covered up so, a lot. Somebody scored, a, somebody scored a hat-trick, but I can't quite remember who it was. Yeah, I can't believe you brought him up again. Um, let go after last week. But anyway... Please, the bloody don't tell me your Wikipedia player of the week is that Andrea Blossi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Al- Albino left, eh? <laughs> um, um, no, it is not. So, uh, this is actually massively coincidentally. Um, but I, I, I'm trying to remember how we did it last week. I, I gave you the appearances and the goals, don't I? You can judge, uh, also for the audience li- listening, you can judge the level of data that you think is yeah i'll i'll give i'll challenging, give you i'd say yeah i'll give i'll give you everything um well, to everything. start with i think once you start once you start getting once you start getting all these right i might make it more difficult for you but yeah coincidentally which is more by luck than judgment uh this player started their career at atalanta uh made 69 appearances and scored two goals uh during this spell at atalanta uh, he had three loan spells at Lecco, where he made 22 appearances with one goal. Monza, 11 appearances and one goal. And 31 appearances for Bologna with zero goals. He then made a permanent move to Udinese, where he made 51 appearances and scored once. He then moved to Torino. He made 50 appearances and scored three goals. Ooh, he then... I thought I had it, but oh. yeah, I'm not sure. He then moved over to Fiorentina on a permanent deal. Uh, 56 appearances and two goals. Then to Bologna, 37, or back to Bologna, because he'd, he'd had his loan spell there as well. Uh, 37 appearances and one goal. And then he ended his career at Sassuolo with three appearances and no goals. Wow, I thought I had that. And then... It all looked really good until the Torino stats, um, which didn't sink. So, could you? I got to begin my journey again. Could you? Uh, could you repeat that? Do you want the appearances as well, and uh, or just the just the teams? Uh, just uh, probably just the teams will be fine. Yeah. Okay. So Atalanta, and then loan spells at Lecco, Monza, and Bologna. Then a permanent move to Udinese. A move to Torino. His Torino stats were fifty appearances and three goals. Then a move to Fiorentina, then to Bologna, and then to Sassuolo. Mm. Uh, early conclusion, it's definitely not a goalkeeper. Um, obviously, you'll, go, you'll give the answer at the beginning of part two, so I went really, but I just, yeah, a little bit of the thought process. Atalanta, Udinese, Torino, Fiorentina, Bologna, it's quite, uh, it's quite mid-table. Um, Hmm. Not a not a prolific goal scorer. Oh, I might have another idea. This player. This player certainly played for quite a few of those clubs. All right, well we'll see. See you folks back in part two. I'll have a little the, think about These questions the, the pondering of these questions don't make great for a uh, audio. No, but I, the, I realize but that. For the, but for the video aspects, they're sensational because um <laughs> Uh, seeing as Peter's beaten me in a in a quiz and on the predictions, it's nice to see him in a little bit they, of turmoil. Yeah, these are uh, these are a lot harder than 
They're a lot harder to answer than to. I think. I think when you yeah. when you see them visually and you see the years and stuff, it's obviously a lot easier because then you know, automatically know the the era in which you're talking about. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah maybe. I, yeah, I think with the years, I'd probably get it. But there's two there's two players who came to mind, and the first one just didn't work. But it's certainly played for quite a few of those clubs. Um. But anyway, should we see everyone back in part two? I think the uh, we're gonna, we're going to play a clip of someone who. Could have been a Torino legend, but definitely wasn't. But we, yeah, we. I guess we'll introduce it. We're going to talk about Argentina and Uruguay in part two, and do our do our eleven, the, the kind of uh, barbecue at the Philadelphia eleven. So bring it on. I'll see you in part two. Hello and welcome to part two of the Talking Toro podcast. Uh, before the break, I set a, a brain teaser for, for obviously those listening and also for Peter. Um, Peter, I I've, did not manage to correctly identify Dino Baggio last week. Can you take an early lead? You say, the, that, uh... you say that. I was trying to work this out after the pod, but you answered Dino Baggio and you said you didn't cheat. So you got it right, didn't you? No, no, no. But I said, no, I said, no, the answer. Yeah. I said I know the answer, but I'm not going to claim it because I just I couldn't take the not not knowing until the second half of the pod. So I did I did cheat. So I didn't I didn't claim it as getting it right because I googled it. Oh, you did Google it. Yeah, yeah. That's why I didn't oh, claim right. it as a, a getting it right because I was like oh, I right. just I just couldn't take. I, I, it was it was annoying me that I couldn't get it right, and then I was like, how many Italian Blackburn Rovers players are there? And then when I put Italian Blackburn Rovers players, it popped up. So, I see. I didn't. Yes, I, did. I I didn't just search every uh, every Torino player cheat. in the five minutes. Yeah, but I did. I didn't. <laughs> no, you were like, very, like Chiro, very like Chiro Immobile. I uh, I didn't try and claim something that wasn't no. uh, wasn't justified. You, you were cheated yet honest, so yeah, that's fine. An honest cheat. Um, <laughs> an honest cheat. How well it, we have just had a little break, so there was plenty of uh, googling time. Uh, no, I didn't google. I, I didn't. I, did, your, your I didn't get. I know you said I you did, were between two. Uh, between two, so. Yes, the one I ruled out, I think the era I'm going for is like, I'm going to go Rob Gilman early year supported. So mid Walter Novellino kind of year. So the first one I thought was Marco Motta, the fullback, who definitely was Udinese Atalanta, but he went, he played for Juventus at some point, either pre or post Torino, and he didn't play 50 games for Torino. So the only other player I can think of, and this guy, definitely Udinese. Definitely Atalanta, definitely Bologna, I think. I don't remember the Sassuolo bit, but probably no one does. Would be Cesare Natale, would be the player I'd think of. Correct. <laughs> was, uh, yeah. Um, but it was a tough one. It, it was a really tough one. It was, I mean, to be honest, I'd, I'd almost forgotten that I had to um, get a player for this Wikipedia challenge until you reminded me. So then I was just literally searching three players and yeah like I said it was total luck that I managed to find somebody who started their uh, career at Atalanta who obviously we're playing this weekend well, so a nice little tie in there yeah well, and last week's was a lat- former Lazio player so that was so next week we can expect a <laughs> Sampdoria or Monza someone who played for Sampdoria and Monza uh, well, and Torino uh, <laughs> well Amanda Rizzo would have been um, Sampdoria's rivals but might be a little bit too easy a bit, yeah, a bit too easy. But anyway, this week's feature. So we open part two with. I mean, we'll talk about him now because he's not going to make the eleven. We this, you may or may not have enjoyed these elevens because we've done the Balkan eleven, the Brazilian eleven, and now this is 
this would have been an Argentina 11. And the reason it's a Uruguayan 11 is because <laughs> I think we've only ever had one Argentinian goalkeeper and he never played a game. Um, so we had to bring in uh, uh, Ichazo. And I think actually it works well playing a Uruguayan Argentina 11 because there's a we wouldn't have been able to do a Uruguayan one in isolation. But I can't think of too many other 11s we could do now after this one. Um, it dawned on me the other day, Torino only ever had one Portuguese player. Um, so, yeah, this I'm sure we'll find ways of doing different 11s or, and, and maybe... maybe, maybe, do, maybe do a, Brit- a British five-a-side team. Yeah, I think the British five-a-side team is going to be for the special 50th edition. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the Argent- Argentine-Uruguayan 11. So the guys will be doing the barbecue at the Philadelphia. And there's a few kind of... Cl- I guess there's a few cliches with Argentinian and Uruguayan players. And Torino don't seem to have bought into them because we'll come on to it, but we've had very few kind of classic defenders from Argentina and Uruguay, put it that way. Um, but okay, we've both done our 11. Um, there's a certain players we ruled out and... Um, our 11s are probably quite similar. Um, and I think we're, the, the debate is going to get more interesting as we get to the attack. So shall we start with the Faye Compley, uh, the goalkeeper? Uh, there's only been one. <laughs> uh, and uh, that would be Ichazzo. I don't... I think there's probably only one anecdote to even talk about in Ichazzo's Torino career, which is that weird instant where I think he came on in a derby. Uh, against Juventus where Sirigu was having issues with his back and I think he had to come off quite early and then Ronaldo got a penalty and seemed to just celebrate in the in the face of Ichazzo for some reason which um, yeah potentially wasn't very nice and then yeah also the, there was the Simone Zaza in the Coppa Italia, the Coppa Italia also felt it was necessary to celebrate in his face which I'm sure became awkward as they later well yeah in. so I think I think uh, I think Ichazzo may have been a bit of a um, I may have had a bit of Martinez about him. Um, but yeah, that that goal, the the penalty against he gave away the penalty, didn't he? From memory, uh, for us, oh, was it Zazo who gave away the penalty? Yeah, I think it was Zazo. Ironically, yeah. It, and um, he hadn't played for Torino for two and a half seasons at that point. He'd been out on loan at Bari and not done much. But yeah, I mean, I don't think his best run in the team was, I think. three We've talked about the game where Padelli messed up against Empoli, and I think Achazzo came in for a few games, but he never played more than three games in a row. But it was kind of a classic, and there's a few of these who haven't made our 11, but Torino have signed where we've bought players from South America come with big reputations and not done very much. Um, but yeah, I don't think we'll waste. I don't think we'll waste too much in Achazzo, but he is our goalkeeper. Um, so we've both gone for flat back four. Um, and actually, we've both gone for the same back four. Yeah, we have so, gone for the same back four. So I, I, based, I'm going to... Based on, uh, yeah, it was slim pickings, I think. It was it was slim pickings. But I'm going to read out the players who made the shortcut but didn't make the team. So Pablo Della Fiore. Yeah, it was a bit of a mere under Novellino. Um, Luciano Zavagno of Derby County fame, who I think was a like, chief scout for Torino at one point. Um, Diego Laxel, who... Yeah, um... Had been quite a decent player at Genoa, um, but it was a bit of a disaster at Torino. And I don't know how well he got on at Celtic, even. Um, I know you know you, you yeah. know goings on at Celtic quite well, but he didn't manage to win a league at Celtic, did he? When he went, no, he wasn't. 
yeah, I don't think he's particularly well thought of either at Celtic. No, and the only other player who the player who could have made the list for me was Gustavo Mendes, who was a chubby Uruguayan right back in the late nineties. Who had a pretty good CV, He'd won the Coppa Italia with with uh, Vicenza, but he really wasn't very good at Torino. But he was good for a he was good for a cheap card. But anyway, so we've we've both got the same four, um, and also I think there's only maybe the centre backs are quite classic. Um, Classic, what we would think of as being Uruguay and Argentina centre backs, but yeah, the defence is—it's—it's it's really weird how few Argentine Uruguayan defenders Torino have signed, um, and what we've been left with is, war yeah, we've been left with, I'd say, two pretty good, two very good players, and two kind of players who've made it just because uh, they were semi-competent and played more than ten games. But should we do the fullbacks first? Yeah, we'll go, we'll go for we'll go for probably the the best player of the well, of these back four that we're that we're discussing first. Um, Gaston Christina. Silva. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, we'll get on to Gaston in a, in a little bit, but yeah, Christian Ansaldi. Um, we put we put a little poll out on um, on Twitter about the best Argentinian player to play for Torino, which we won't talk too much about because it might give a a couple of spoilers about who else might feature in this team. But yeah, Ansaldi won that won that vote um, and yeah I think we've spoken about him on the pod I've had him as a, a tour hero and he is one of the best if, if I was going to do an all time Torino 11 for my time of support him I think Ansel would make that team and he the fact it, a bit of a shame I mean he's still playing now in Serie B for Palmer but a little bit of a shame that we, he came to Torino so late in his career because had he I think he came over to Italy and went to Genoa, then got quickly got moved to Inter. That didn't work out, but it makes me think if he, if he'd come over to Torino a little bit younger in his peak, and and he could have gone on to have sort of a a career where he'd have been been at the same club for sort of ten years. But unfortunately, he came a little bit later. But yeah, you could still see that quality and good mates with um, Lionel Messi as well. So did manage to sneak his way into the into a couple of uh, Argentinian World Cup squads. Yeah, I mean, 135 appearances for Torino, 10 goals, 21 assists. I think we've talked a lot about Ansaldi. He made our top 10 players of the century as well. So a bit of a shoe in I think we'll save the uh, save our energy to debate a few other things. But uh, on the, the other side, Gaston Silva. He's a real enigma, wasn't he? Because he looked, he looked like the classic, brilliant pickup, a bit like Bremer, I guess. Young player with a very good CV from South America, quite polyvalent. He could play in various positions at the back, but he was one of those players. I don't think Ventura ever trusted him, and so maybe as a few other players on, kind of from Argentina and Uruguay, Ventura didn't trust as well. But the season he he arrived, he didn't play a Serie A match until week seventeen, but he'd scored in Europe already against Copenhagen. So he, he we we kind of tried him out in Europe, but. He was never, I don't think he was ever given a fair crack, but he was never quite, I'm not sure what position he ever played in was part of the problem. And then looking at his, the career he's had, it's not like he's kicked on to have a great career. He's kind of, I don't think he's ever kind of bettered Torino really. So, um, but he was a bit, he was certainly more competent than some of the other players on the list, but he was a kind of a beer, a bit of a disappointment, Gaston Silva, ultimately. 
yeah, I think he makes his team even just scoring in, in the Europa League against Copenhagen is probably enough to qualify you for this team based on the the opposition that he was uh, faced with, faced up against. But yeah, he's probably one of those players who just would never really get mentioned in this podcast. Otherwise, he wasn't that bad that he'd be a like a, a hero. Uh, uh, it wasn't that bad that he'd be a villain. He obviously wasn't that good that he'd be a hero. So yeah, it's nice that we do these little compilations and give uh, a shout out to these random Torino players. It, yeah, go on and yeah, you wonder whether they're going to have careers. It's, we'll probably get onto it another player a little bit later on who left Torino and then went on to have a, a, a relatively decent career. Um, but yeah, Gaston Sims probably not not somebody who fits in that category. Right, right. we've got both got the same centre half, so I'll talk about the better player first, uh, Nicolas Bordiso, who was a kind of outstanding centre half in for Inter and Roma and for Argentina. I always really liked him. Um, always quite a clean central defender as well. I mean, hard, but always felt quite fair. Um, and we signed him. Actually, I always, yeah, obviously we had pretty bad defence under Mihailovic, but I'd kind of forgotten that he came in under Mihailovic in the season Mihailovic was fired. Didn't play for the first 11 games. He sat on the bench. We had a game against Inter where I think we had a defensive crisis. He came in, he was absolutely brilliant in a 1-1 draw and then was never out of the team virtually. So we played. We had a season where we had Moretti, Enculo, and Bordiso as the back three. It's a, I, I realise some of them were at the wrong end of their career, but that was a pretty that defence got us, um, yeah, got got us challenging for the European places. I wish, I wish we'd had a bit more, but kind of more than twenty four appearances because I, I thought it was class when he played for Torino. Yeah, I'd agree with that, and the fact that at the end of his career at Torino, probably. We would have, yeah, if we'd have got him a little bit earlier, that there's definitely would have been a lot more than 24 appearances, but also even at the tail end of his career, especially compared to some other centre-backs we had at that time, that sort of Mihailovic, Matsari era, he was still head and shoulders above the rest, which maybe says a lot about our recruitment in that period. So we got, um, I'll let you introduce the other centre-half. Yeah, so Guillermo Rodriguez is the other second centre-half. I, again, I think Rodriguez was, pretty underrated in terms of how he played like technically I don't think he was um just a sort of hatchet man and, and was I think decent technically I'm pretty sure he's um left-footed as well so it gives us a yeah. nice sort of left-footed right-footed balance um but yeah he sort of came in and did a very specific job um he then I, I didn't actually remember that he'd he played he came over from from Uruguay I had a spell at Chisena and then came to Torino. I don't really remember his spell after Torino either, where he went to Hellas um, and then yeah, went back to Penarol soon, soon later, uh, soon after. But yeah, just a solid performer in those Ventura years, where I think the system was so good that really anybody could come in and do a pretty good job. Um, the, the, yeah, the interesting thing with it, I always associate Ventura with with a three-man defence. Then when we came up, we played a flat-back four. And when we start, when we, we, we yeah. got promoted with the flat-back fours, he's, he's like it's tactical 4-2-4, four, yeah, yeah. But Rodriguez played a lot that first season because Ogbonna just dropped off a cliff. I can't remember. Yeah. I know he was injured. and He had a lot of... Uh, well, he got sent off twice, so suspensions yeah. as well. But it's Rodriguez and Glick played as a, as a central defence. and Rodriguez was the slightly more... Um, yeah, slightly more cultured um, 
I don't, yeah, it wasn't the most cultured, but it's certainly kind of bit, bit, bit kind of uh, better passer than 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 Glick. But I got a gripe with Rodriguez though. He kind of la- he later admerged as Simone Zaza. So <laughs> I, I think they're the same person. I think he was the first. I think he was Simone Zaza, the centre back, and we re-signed him. Could, I um, mean, <laughs> could could a harsh, harsh person say that he's probably more of a um, more technically gifted than Zaza? Um, the Zaza but... part. We've not talked. We've talked too much about Bellotti in this part, and never enough about Zaza because Zaza is one of the biggest enigmas in. Not just feel, Torino, but Italian football. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on um, on Swanee. That That's our 50th episode sorted, just do the, the Zaza podcast. Zaza special. His, agent, right, he might, his agent might um, get us to do it, well, yeah. he's still without a club. Yeah, well, that's, that's another thing. Midfield. Just, just quickly on Rodriguez, if um, Wikipedia is to believe, which is possibly not always the case, um, Rodriguez is only 39 and is apparently still playing. So... That does make me feel a little bit old because I, I mean, I was in the impression that he was sort of in his late thirties at Torino, um, but yeah, he left Torino in two thousand and fourteen, so that was not a good nine years ago. Yeah, um, he just looked. He just yeah, looked he, he would have. Yeah, he would have only been thirty. Um, so into midfield, we again very few players. I just, I we've bought a lot of forwards basically, but in midfield, I we've both gone for the same two. So I'll just talk very quickly about two. Pr- yeah, probably more of your era, and it was based on the the compact the sort of competitors they had in midfield is is why I've I've had to yeah. go for those players. Well, there's two there's two that didn't make it and probably could have done. So one was Marcos Locatelli from the 1960s, um, who um, played under Benjamin Santos, who's someone we're going to talk about in the forward area. But he scored 17 and 54 in midfield in the early 60s. And there's a big Genoa connection with all of his South Americans, um, which I'll come on to later on. But he ended up playing for a long time for Genoa, never left Italy, and then launched uh, Walter Zenga in his one spell as a coach at Savona in the early 80s. So he didn't make it. But it's also worth talking about um, Eduardo Ricani in the late 50s, who, like a few other players, didn't just play for Argentina, played for Italy. Um, nine goals in 45 matches and played for Juve, Milan and Toro. So they didn't make it. And I want to say, spend the word for um, Sanchez Mino, who I think is one of the most disappoint. I was so excited when we bought him. Because um, he came from Boca Juniors, didn't he? Um, and he was... I Another player Ventura just took a look at and just did, did not like. And um, my first doubts about him, so this was kind of what 2014 2015 something was it in the Europa League the first Europa League campaign wasn't it where we bought yeah. where we bought in uh when Churchill and Immobile left and he was a kind of what worried me about Sanchez Mino is that he was a fantasist a creative midfielder but could also play at left back uh, and um I do feel that like if you're left back in, in Argentina though you just you just you're a left back he was very left foot. Yeah, I just felt his cat. He was a bit. He always looked a bit overawed by the whole experience. And the key moment, and I, you may have a better memory, and I didn't research this because I didn't want to kind of. I, I yeah, I didn't want to kind of. I wanted to rely a bit on my memory, but he missed a penalty, didn't he? Yeah, he uh, was given a like a sympathy penalty. I think Quali really chucked in the ball, or and it was like gone. 
Juan, you'll score this and your Torino career will kick on. And he missed the penalty. It might have been at nil-nil against someone. I don't Sass- think we, I think, Sassuolo. Was it Sassuolo? Did we end up losing the game or not win it? We didn't uh, win the game. It was, um, yeah, we lost 1-0. I'm just trying to work out where the um, where the penalty was. Yeah, so we it was missed... at home. It was definitely at home. It was under the Maratona. I remember yeah, we, mi- we missed uh, the penalty after half an hour. And then um, Antonio Floro Flores. I don't think there's ever been ever been mentioned in this podcast I before. Can't, I, can't, I can't stand Antonio. He once scored for Piacenza against Torino when I was um, when I was a season ticket holder. And yeah, he uh, he scored yeah, in the eighty seventh minute. He's a wrong gun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Sanchez Mino. Sanchez Mino. There's a, uh, there's a few like Gaston Silva. We'll probably talk about Carlos Marinelli. These players who've come and yeah, with with big reputations and not. I, I think the, the interest the interesting thing about the Sanchez Mino one is the fact that he arrived in the same summer as another South American Bruno Perez, and I think a lot of the hype was on Sanchez Mino. Bruno Perez wasn't even named in the Europa League squad. Um, and then obviously Perez exploded and uh, Mina did not. No. So the two the two players we picked, um, Proticio Hernandez from the early 80s. Again, a classic pickup from Estudiantes. Um, he was a goal scoring midfielder. We can't profess to have seen him, um, but no, highly thought of 15 goals, 57 ga- uh, appearances. Scored winners against Lazio, Roma, and Inter, and played in the famous two uh, 0 down, three two win over Juve. And the sort of pickup now that would be quite considered quite creative for Torino. And the other one would be Enzo Francescoli, who one of the great kind of names of the eighties and nineties. Um, Zidane named his son Enzo after Enzo Francescoli for his time at Marseille. Um, a bit of an era play. I mean, he ended up playing a long time for Cagliari because of the foreigners' rule in Italy, meaning that you know, virtually every team had, because of the three foreigners, teams couldn't stockpile. So he had these great players spread across the league. Yeah, brilliant player. Torino. He, I got to admit, he wasn't that great. He was coming to the end of the, end of his career. There was a few kind of nice moments, but probably one of the most, a bit like Abdi Pele as well. One of the kind of big names Torino have had in the last 30 years and he wasn't like we'll talk about Alvaro Recoba as well Francescoli was decent for Torino he just wasn't he he wasn't Enzo Francescoli is decent it, but he was time, com- to, time to talk about the fact that in this team he's playing almost holding midfield with a, a front four and he's yeah, a number well, 10 there is that the, the one thing I wanted to pull out about Francescoli I did I did want to look at his Wikipedia page and this, this is so it's a, this is hobbies outside of football he also enjoys smoking <laughs> a habit that he has since the age of 16 and playing golf so yeah um <coughs> yeah we'll, we'll we'll leave it there but um that's a that's a pretty good hobby yeah. i suppose <laughs> but yeah uh, i think he um, may just... have done a lot a lot a lot of them when he was in turin but i remember chris waddle who played with him at marseille always said francesco was, it was one of the kind of great players he ever played with just a quick point to to pick up on on what you're saying about uh, Hernandez and how he's almost like a classic, a classic Torino, a uh, Torino pickup back in back in the day. I, I'm going to somehow manage to pigeonhole a Southampton re- a reference into there, but obviously Southampton currently have an Argentine player who we signed from from Racing um, in January, uh, Ch- uh, Carlos Alvarez. Uh, Al- sorry, Alcaraz, um, and he's that sort of player who you would sort of 
almost wish that Torino would pick up. But the difference now between now and sort of maybe the 80s and 90s is just the finance and, and the difference in in what teams can afford. Like I think Alcaraz signed for sort of like £11.5 million. Pounds. He's 20 years old. Like the finances of that deal would just not be anything that Torino would be able to look at. And the fact that obviously he was able to go to a, a team who were going to get relegated from the Premier League uh, and it's done pretty well. He's maybe one of our only bright sparks in this sort of second half of the season. Um, yeah, potentially, maybe if uh, if we do go down, whether that's a, an avenue we can look at for a, a cheeky loan deal whilst we're in the championship. Yes, just don't send Lienko as part of it. So anyway, the forwards is where it, where it gets interesting. So I'm going to rattle some names and if you want to say something, we can. But I think we'll basically we've got four spots and there's five players. So I'll list the players who are not making it. Lucas Boyer, classic, great potential, didn't kick on, has it, had. Yeah, Boyer yeah, was the, the player I was referencing earlier and the fact that he's actually gone on to have quite a good career in Spain. And I think there were rumours that he was going to move to Atletico Madrid, which haven't come to fruition as of yet. But yeah, he's actually he had a strange spell at Reading, I think, as well, where he did okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very strange to see his name pop up on like a soccer Saturday. I, I went to university at Reading and I did okay, but uh, <laughs> doesn't make me great. Um, Marcello Larondo, yeah, let's move on. Uh, Carlos Marinelli was one of the who also played for Middlesbrough. He was he passed through Torino twice when I was living there. He was he was the beans on toast for a few games, um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> He was one of those num- number of players who's called an ex-Maradona, but never, never kind of got anywhere near that. But was technically, uh, technically delicious. Uh, Federico Magallanes, we've talked about on a past pod, so let's not bring him up again. Jose Franco, I would really like to talk about one day because he was he was there's a proper story. But basically, he ended up having to live with Paolo Montero, the Juventus Uruguayan in Turin, um, because Turin. <laughs> Long story, but we'll come on to it. Jose Franco, I got a bit of a soft spot for, but he's not to make the cut. And then we began this with Alvaro Acoba, who, yeah, Cairo, who is one of the only two players I can ever remember having this kind of elaborate presentation at Torino. So Acoba had like eight to 10,000 fans there um, when he signed from Inter. The only other player was Joe Hart. And I think that was more of an impromptu thing uh, at the club HQ. And I, I think Churchy seems to have one as well. I think Churchy had one at the training ground, which was more of a sort of presentation than, than the majority of Torino players seem to get. Yeah, but I mean, Rokoba came, and I looked back at it earlier. He actually, because Rokoba was quite famous for having a few kilos extra, but he actually had this quite buzz cut and looked look really in shape when it was Torino presentation. But massive shame that didn't work out, but it was a... Real lopsided squad with Di Michele, Rosina, Rakoba. Fitting them all in was never going to happen. But Rakoba was terrible at Torino. He scored in his second game at Palermo, I think. And we all thought, yeah. But that wand of a left foot, we... Yeah. The, the, if I remember correctly, that he might have hit the bar in a derby with a free kick. Might have been the first derby that I ever watched. Um, I get the feeling that he either came very close to the free kick and potentially may have even hit the bar. You might be right. There was, yeah, the first half of the season, there was kind of a lot of kind of, yeah, close shaves and things that didn't quite work out. He, 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 he turned up wearing a number four and that was just, yeah, it was just like... He, he was only signed really because Cairo was a big fan. 
Yeah, I was just Cairo is had a lot of kind of budget Marathi vibes about him and the the early, the early Cairo. But anyway, uh, we'll probably we should talk about Rakoba more another day. But the four forwards, we've uh, no five forwards. So um, I'm going to see who quickly we've agreed on. So we've agreed on um, Julio Libonati. How can you not agree on him? Like 150 goals for Torino. Um, sign from the result. Pretty boy. safe to say that nobody who listens to this podcast saw him play. play. Well, the other thing is the player third in the Torino all-time scorers list was Gino Rossetti, who played in a partnership with Libonati. So they won the first Torino title in the late twenties. They uh, also had that title revoked, um, which again is a story for another day. But yeah. I think probably those two players have got the best goal scoring records at Torino. So I think Libonati has to be in it. Um, then we also agree on um, Nesta Combin. Although, is Nesta Combin really South American? Yeah, this is my caveat as well because despite being born in um, La- Las Rojas, Argentina, who did he play for uh, internationally, Peter? He played for France. Uh, he started his career at Leon. He never played in Argentina. He was a beautiful, scary-looking man who only seemed to score hat-tricks for Torino. So, poignantly, he scored a hat-trick in Moroni's last game. He was very good friends with Moroni. He scored a hat-trick against Sampdoria. And in um, the first game of the Moroni's passing, he scored a hat-trick in the derby against Juventus. Um, and then, a couple of games before that, he scored a hat-trick against Brescia. He scored the effectively the winner that won us Coppa Italia that season. So for me, yeah, in my um, never saw Nesta Combin uh, hat on, bit of a Torino legend, but caveat: how Argentinian was he? Um, okay. And that... probably just a just a quick mention on Combin. Um, maybe a difference between the uh, French mentality and the Italian mentality in terms of Combin's nickname. Uh, so <laughs> at um, in France, he was nicknamed La Foudre, the Lightning. And his nickname in Italy was Il Salvaggio, the Savage. The Beast, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, a, a little bit yeah. of a difference there <laughs> where maybe they uh, picked up on more of his um, more aesthetically pleasing parts of his career in France, whereas uh, <laughs> maybe he was a bit more of a bulldozer in Italy. Um, and then the other player we agree on, I think, is the only really good Uruguayan player we've ever had at Torino, uh, which was Carlos Aguilera. So he was an impish technical forward. Uh, he'd done really well at Genoa. He scored the two goals to knock Liverpool out the UEFA Cup uh, at Anfield with Genoa when he played with Thomas Scaravi and Torino bought him to do a similar thing with Walter Casagrande. His first season, we won the Coppa Italia. He scored three in a league match at Roma. We won 5-4. And this is a weird thing that like, not only memory does to you, but also... You actually go back in time and like Aguilera's did really well in his first season. And I looked at his stats and I said, why didn't he play six games in the second season? Um, was he was he injured or basically without getting into too many details, uh, Aguilera had to leave Italy and hasn't been back, I don't think, since um, because certain criminal charges uh, caught up with him involving yeah shipments and. Um, certain prohibited substances. So uh, I, think, I think our lawyers say that we're okay with that one. Though, yeah, I think, uh, well, I think there's, yeah, but he, he, he basically couldn't, 
he, but the point being, and no one spoke about this at the time, was just it's like Pato's injured, um, and then he just kind of disappeared. He was back in Penarol and never came back to Italy. Um, so he obviously in that summer of after he'd won the Coppa Italia, didn't really see him again. But in that one season we had, yeah, he's technically technically brilliant centre uh, centre forward. Scored free kicks, scored um, um, kind of all, all kinds of goals, and also scored the decisive away goal against Juventus in the semi final. Got us to the Coppa Italia final. So, yeah, Pato Aguilera is there. So, where we disagree, or where does I've got um, Benjamin Santos, and I, I think there's going to be room for negotiation and agreement here. But Benjamin Santos was our big centre forward post Superga. Um, so, he signed from Rosario Central. Scored 27 in 37 in the post-Superga season. Later became Torino coach uh, after having coached um, Moroni at Genoa. So he came, um, I'm trying to think of the order of these things actually, but anyway, he coached Torino for a few seasons and then died in a car crash at the age of 41, 1964, a few years before Moroni's car crash. Um so those stats are pretty good and I think pretty poignant to have someone in that season post Superga who, you know, helped raise morale. But he coached Torino, I think the early Argentinian coach. So um, I think there's two. I think you're going to want to bring the other player was Maxi Lopez, who I don't think his achievements get anywhere near the four players we've talked about, but court hero. Um and I think I, I, I've I've always going to have to have an affinity with players who obviously I've been able to see see play just because yeah historically I think it's important to also recognise players who've come before our time but also that we're able to actually even talk about the fact that we we watch them play and so we can talk about the the memories of the the Bilbao um, Europa League game where obviously Lopez was crucial which is probably our other than Derby victories, it's probably our biggest achievement in the last sort of twenty-five years. Yeah, no, great. I, I like Maxi Lopez. We've talked about him as a court hero. He's definitely court hero. Um, I think if you look back, there are plenty of pretty average Maxi Lopez performances for Torino, but um, I think he, I, I think he was almost a perfect signing at that time in that Europa League campaign. He did very well, and I think there's two big holes here I think one is Nesta Combin is never played in Argentina never played for Argentina and Benjamin Santos could be our coach so and I think quite right I think you've got to say we haven't seen a lot of these players um and actually we didn't see I saw Francesca you didn't I didn't see Hernandez and the defense is kind of meh not and not many of us saw Gaston Silva really, but he, he still makes the team. The, yeah, so <laughs> I I think Maxi Lopez should be in there. So the question is, does he replace Nesta Combin, or does Benjamin Santos kind of become our coach? And um, ah, we've got to we've got to get Nesta Combin in there, haven't we? Sure. Yeah, I think even though there is that caveat in the terms of obviously he didn't play for Argentina internationally, that isn't it was this this can be a, a team of. Uh, players who were born in Argentina or Uruguay. So yeah, I think I think we can fit him in that way. And yeah, Benjamin Santos as a coach sounds like a, a good way to fit fit twelve players into eleven spaces. Do you know I'm gonna make a very bold prediction to finish this. 
it's going to come full circle. Do you know Torino going to sign next season? Oh. I'll, uh, Ar- Argentinian. An Argentinian? Well, Messi isn't happy at PSG, so... Well, Christian Ansari might pretend to be his friend. But, uh, <laughs> I think Torino is going to sign Mauro Icardi. Oh. I will... <laughs> What are you, you going to do? I, You're going to get a Cardi 9 in the backwards. I'm, I'm pretty certain that there's actually more chance of a sign of Messi than a sign of Mario Cardi. I, I think I could see Cairo. I could see Cairo in some kind of soiree in Milan um, talking to Mario Cardi, who's not enjoying life. Is it Galatasaray? Yeah. And, yeah. Fudging some kind of loan deal. Um, I didn't actually realise how well he'd been doing at Galatasaray, to be honest. And he's only no. thirty. I feel like I've, you're talking me into this, but no. For, no, I'm not. For, I'm for, just, Maxi Lopez, for Maxi Lopez fans everywhere, we can't we can't allow this. No, I'm just I'm just saying it just to because uh, Maxi Lopez was in my head, and I thought it'd be quite a funny thing to say. But um, yeah, so I'll quick, I'll quickly, very quickly, because we're running out of time. I'll quick, very quickly try and run through our eleven. So it's a chat. So Uruguayan goal back four is. Yeah, perfectly balanced. So Silva and Rodriguez from Uruguay, Bordiso and Ansari from Argentina. Perfectly balanced also in midfield. So the Argentine, Hernandez, Uruguay, and Francesco in attack. Um, getting a bit more. I think it's three, a Frenchman, Combin, <laughs> two Argentines, Maxi Lopez, Julio Libonati, and Pato Aguilera, the Uruguay, who can never come back to Italy. Or maybe he can, though. I don't know. I don't care. But. That's our 11. And as coach is Benjamin Santos. So it's all worked out well. Perfect. Epic. And um, yeah, let's hope, let's hope we don't have a summer where we just sign Uruguayans or Argentinians and we have to redo this in 12 months. Well, please do. We're running out of content. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. We're going to need it. We're going to have to sign five players from somewhere just so we can do another one. So anyway, fantastic. Uh, epic weekend. Forza Toro. Forza Toro.